This podcast is made possible with collaboration and input from the LinkedIn Digital Transformation Group with reference to Google News and Wikipedia. Who owns digital innovation? Who cares? Why it matters? These four strategies will help to create a culture of digital innovation with an eye to the future, no matter who's in charge. There's little question that enterprises benefit from a focus on digital innovation. Gartner's 2021 CIO Agenda Survey found that organizations that increase funding for digital innovation are nearly three times more likely to be leading performers than laggards as compared to their peers. A question often comes up, though, who owns the initiative? It may seem to be a necessary discussion as C-level technology, innovation, or digital leaders, or even CEOs themselves, could take the reins. However, a panel at this spring's MIT Sloan CIO Symposium offered organizations succinct advice about debating digital innovation ownership, don't. The debate happens at each level of the organization and there's no clear-cut answer, said Brooke Colangelo, Executive Vice President and CIO for Waters Corporation, a lab equipment and software company. The panel was moderated by Michael Schrage, a visiting scholar at the MIT Initiative on the Digital Economy. It lies between IT, digital, and business leadership, said Akira Bell, senior vice president and CIO of policy research company Mathematica. Traditional IT has to support the privacy and trust frameworks necessary to make that digital transformation work. We cannot win for our clients or our colleagues unless we come together as a team, said Gail Evans, chief digital officer of Mercer, an asset management firm. Since enterprises shouldn't debate who owns digital innovation, leaders are better off focusing their energy on creating a culture of innovation. Here are four tips for making that happen. Look beyond the technology. The CIO role has evolved over the last several years. Creating a technology roadmap for the company remains critical, but alignment with business strategy and customer expectations influences that roadmap more than specific internal hardware and software needs. For Bell, this means knowing how Mathematica's policy research helps clients make data-driven decisions and create value. In that sense, she said, digital strategy is in fact business strategy. Evans agreed. Today's IT leaders are exposed to a plethora of digital platforms and ecosystems, and it is incumbent upon them to evaluate these offerings as growth opportunities for the business as a whole. We're talking about the evolution of the IT leadership and technology leadership to stop just thinking about technology, she said. We are business leadership. Be a city planner, not a traffic cop. For Colangelo, Another sign of the evolution of the CIO role has been the transition from traffic cop to city planner. The inward-looking technology leader was a traffic cop, managing enterprise software applications, networks, data centers, servers, devices, and so on. The shift to an outward focus requires big-picture thinking, Colangelo said. We have to start designing the streets, the experiences, and the roadmaps for the destiny that we're going to drive toward. 
We have to do that by envisioning where all of these things go and sequencing them and showing the entire business landscape, he said. Our digital strategy is not to just look at a list of portfolio and programs, but put our customer at the center, look at all the different delivery mechanisms that we offer to our customer, and then unify that in a frictionless experience. This requires thinking differently. Just as today's city planners must consider issues that their predecessors did not, from electricity grids to decarbonization, the city planners of digital transformation must think beyond Gantt charts and waterfall development. We're going to work iteratively, think about how we drive different outcomes and change that roadmap constantly, he said. Think about skills, not roles. While digital innovation has impacted the future of work for quite some time, the business world's response to COVID-19 further disrupted this shift. Leaders, as well as the workers they manage, must navigate the rapid transition to remote work, the loss of routines, the return to the office, and even the changing sense of self amid major personal and professional transitions. Amid this disruption, Evans emphasized the importance of evaluating employees' contributions based on their skills, not their specific role or title. Digital innovation brings a whole new dimension to designing the workforce, she said and helping employees evolve their skills will let them bring new knowledge to their existing area of focus. Our actuaries are now becoming data scientists, she said. Thinking about skills instead of roles also means organizations will have to broaden the tent of who is considered a digital worker, Bell said, adding that it's likely to be most of the company. Our social scientists are coming out of graduate school, and they can program in Python, Bell said. The last thing they want to hear is, well, you're not on the technology team, so you don't get the keys to the kingdom. Automate with care. That said, Digital innovation initiatives must balance human and machine work, given that computers and robots can complete certain repetitive tasks faster than people can. For Bell, an all-or-nothing approach is not feasible. Mathematica focuses on data-driven research that informs health and social policy. Without human oversight, bias in machine learning, whether in the datasets that are analyzed or in the algorithms that analyze the datasets, could lead to decisions that only widen equity gaps based on factors such as race, gender, or sexual orientation. It's really important for us to have the right balance of technology paired with a social scientist, Bell said. That way, social scientists and researchers can use machine learning technology to inform their work, but the output of the algorithm isn't expected to be the sole basis for a decision. Evans described Mercer's approach to automation as test and learn. The approach has two key goals, improve the output of predictive algorithms and empower employees to solve business issues. When you teach new skills to the people who are doing the job today, they will help you to automate and find efficiencies that serve the greater good of the company and the client, she said. Our colleagues feel like they are valued that what they bring is needed for the growth and success of the company. A message from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you here how it works. It's free, you can register free online. 
Just go to anchor.fm and register. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or desktop computer, that's how easy it is. Anchor will also help to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many more other platforms. You can also generate income from your podcast, with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. Now, you can download the Anchor apps from the Apple Store or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast, thanks again. How to stay motivated when you're, still, stuck at home. After months of being stuck inside due to the COVID-19 pandemic, limiting exposure to friends and family, and juggling responsibilities at home and at work, it's no surprise that many of us are dealing with frustration, anger, and burnout. Quite simply, we've had. People from around the world are reaching out to me because they've reached a breaking point. They've simply had enough, enough of being inside. Enough of working remotely. Enough of having businesses shut down. Enough of schools being closed. Enough of being isolated. Enough of everything. The common message they communicate in time management consultations is, I just can't do this anymore. Some break down in tears. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed all of our lives in a multitude of ways. And after months of being stuck inside, limiting exposure to friends and family, and juggling responsibilities at home and at work, it's no surprise that many of us are dealing with frustration, anger, and more. If you find yourself in that situation, where you don't feel like you can handle what's happening anymore, and you've lost motivation to even try, you're not alone. Putting you under a tremendous amount of stress, increasing your responsibilities, and stripping you of your support networks is a recipe for burnout and breakdown. But you have a choice. You can succumb to the pressure and give up, or you can rally and fight for your career, your life, and your mental health. If you choose the first option, you guarantee failure. The second option, though, will give you the opportunity to innovate, succeed, and grow stronger through what you overcome. I recommend you use everything that's happening to you right now as an opportunity to become a more resilient person who has the desire and motivation to do your best each day. Instead of being crushed by the weight of it all, approach life with a sense of hope and tenacity that motivates you to not only get through, but also thrive. Feel your anger. It's natural and normal to feel angry about what's happening right now. And it's important to acknowledge and express that anger in healthy ways. Repressed anger can cause anxiety and depression, as well as lead to heart problems, headaches, skin disorders, and digestive issues. Anger that is not dealt with in healthy ways can also lead to emotionally or physically abusive behavior toward the people closest to you. To release the anger, frustration, and even rage, recognize and accept that you're feeling it. In psychology, the acceptance paradox is that when you accept what you're truly feeling, those emotions then have less power over you, not more. So do that. Admit that you're fed up, frustrated, angry, disgusted, etc. It's the first step toward freedom. Then, 
Find healthy ways to release your anger. If you're in a very heightened state, you may simply want to be alone, or as alone as possible, and then unleash what you're feeling. This could look like taking a hard run, punching a punching bag, screaming into a pillow or in your car, or doing something more calming, like taking deep slow breaths, stretching, or journaling. Anger is an extremely strong emotion and until you release it, the energy of it will agitate you. Question what is possible? We tend to have established places we go and ways of doing things. But now is a time to question everything. In my own life, I've switched churches and gyms so that I could meet in an in-person, yet safe, environment that was best for me. Some people I know have switched school districts or sent their kids to private school so that they could have five days a week of in-person learning instead of remote options. Others have done the opposite, choosing to stay fully remote. And I know some people who have even moved to a different state, some temporarily and others permanently, so that they would have access to schools and other amenities. What about you? Could you find new places to go for the things you enjoy doing? Sometimes by just hopping over a city, county, or state line, you'll find many more opportunities available to you. Given that most work and quite a number of schools are remote, you may even have the ability to move to a more rural area or go to a different state without too much disruption in your family's routine. If to stay sane, you need to not be under stay-at-home orders, need your kids in school, and require indoor gyms to be open, there may be options outside of your immediate environment. Look into them. Do a short-term rental, get a camper, or even look into moving permanently if that's an option for you. If you have choices and the resources to act on those choices, you might be able to put yourself in a situation where you find day-to-day -day life less stressful so you have more energy and motivation to tackle work and other important parts of your life. Accept what you aren't changing. There may be some areas where you either can't or don't want to change the situation. Your children may be happy and thriving in their hybrid approach in school and in your community. Your family may not have the money to uproot and move, even temporarily. Or maybe your organization has chosen to stay remote for a long time, and while that situation isn't ideal, you love the company and don't want to change jobs. In those cases, you need to accept your situation as it stands. Accepting what you can't change or what you're choosing not to change helps to make your situation feel less stressful because you're acknowledging your autonomy. I am choosing to stay in this job, to stay involved in this organization, or to continue to live in this city. Through this choice, I am accepting these certain limits that are currently imposed, and it is in my control. Once accepted, then find ways to make the situation more doable for you. Develop a strategy for moving forward. Once you've questioned everything in your environment, then you will need to develop a strategy for moving forward within these realities. If you're working from home and feel uncomfortable in your current workspace, make small modifications like adding a new chair or better lighting that can improve the situation for you. Or move your office to another room for a change of scenery. If you have your kids doing remote learning, see if you can get a babysitter or join a pod to have someone else help with supervision. If that's not possible, 
work on a schedule to help get your kids set up as much as possible before school starts so there are fewer interruptions throughout the day. And think through strategies to up your drive to get things done. That could look like using services like Focusmate, where you can sign up to have a remote working buddy on a video call with you for a focused block of work time. Or you can identify an area of your job where you would like to learn and grow. Instead of looking to just get by in all of your work, pick at least one project where you're going to knock it out of the park, do really good work, and push yourself. Choosing a stretch project will require a bit more effort can get you out of a minimum viable attitude and reinvigorate your passion for what you are doing. Invest in self-care. Don't forget to take care of yourself. Eating a bunch of sugar or drinking a bottle of wine each night might feel satisfying in the moment, but they are unhealthy options in the long run. Instead, positively alter your brain chemistry by investing in simple things that make a huge difference in your mental state, including guarding against depression and anxiety and getting enough sleep. Those options include exercising, being outside, doing a creative hobby, connecting with family and friends, laughing, praying, journaling, going to a religious service, reading, and listening to music. These simple activities not only release feel-good chemicals, but also help us to avoid the feeling of learned helplessness, meaning that no matter what I do I can't improve my situation. We're in a time that is unusually challenging worldwide. But I have confidence that you have what it takes to not only get through, but also to come out even better than before. Use and reuse these steps to stay motivated and to keep moving forward, even when times are tough. Eleven myths about decision-making. From I like to be efficient to I trust my gut to I can make a rational decision, there are a number of deeply ingrained and counterproductive myths we tell ourselves about how we make decisions. Underlying these myths are three common and popular. Can you imagine life without your smartphone? So many of us can't. We depend upon them for everything from directions to telling us the temperature outside to tracking our daily steps and heart rate. Our hey, Siri culture has conditioned us to equate speed with efficiency and efficacy, and it's changing how we process information. Our brains have become conditioned to respond with pleasure to the bings, pings, and dings our phones and computers provide. While Siri and Alexa and Google are great, when we're jonesing for Italian food and want help finding a restaurant, they are not great, or even desirable, when it comes to complex decision-making. In fact, they help enable a series of counterproductive ideas and reactive behaviors that actually impair your ability to make informed decisions. For example, let's say you want to buy a car. Maybe you're weighing a Prius versus a Crosstrek. Siri and Google can give you all sorts of information, such as fuel efficiency or the current interest rate on your loan. But a search engine won't know why you're buying the car, how you intend to use it, or what impact the purchase will have on your budget. Ultimately, your decision needs to come from a clear understanding of your needs, values, and goals, information that's outside the reach of their algorithms. I've been studying decision-making for more than 20 years and have identified a number of deeply ingrained 
and counterproductive myths that harm our ability to make decisions. The most common of these myths include 1. I like to be efficient. So many of us think efficiency means jumping right in and making a decision. But to be truly effective, we need to be clear on what we are solving for. Rushing can lead you to make a decision based on the wrong factors, which ultimately will lead to regret. For example, walking into a car dealership and buying the first car you see may feel efficient, but may mean you end up with the car the salesperson wants to get rid of, not the car that best fits your needs and budget. 2. I'm too busy. I don't have time to give to this decision. Putting off a decision is a decision in and of itself. However, intentionally slowing down to get clear on what you're solving for will speed up your efficacy. You'll save time later by spending quality time now to avoid having to revisit the decision. For example, taking a little bit of time to research prices before visiting a car dealership will better help you negotiate the price of the vehicle. 3. I just need to solve this problem at this moment. This is the classic example of losing the forest for the trees. Our problems sit in a context. A narrow focus may solve the wrong problem, or only partially solve the problem. If your car breaks down unexpectedly and you rush out to buy a new one, are you considering your needs beyond the present? 4. This is my decision alone, I don't need to involve others. Our important decisions do involve other stakeholders. Avoiding this bigger picture of who else is affected by a decision can, at best, only partially solve the problem and may exacerbate it. For example, if your spouse or child can't drive a stick shift, do you really want to buy a manual transmission car that no one else in the family can get out of the driveway in an emergency? 5. I know I'm right. I just want data or an opinion to confirm my own thinking. Known as confirmation bias, this decision-making flaw has been behind notorious failures from the Bay of Pigs to the subprime loan market implosion, to the NASA Challenger explosion, to the Deepwater Horizon environmental catastrophe. In each case, disconfirming data were available and should have raised concerns, but groupthink set in, and no one wanted to raise the red flag. To better understand and define the limitations of what you think you know, look for contrary examples and evaluate rival explanations. These techniques can prevent frame blindness to keep you from seeing what you want to see rather than what may be present. For example, maybe you've settled on the cross-trek in your car search, but you decide to look around anyway. Could your preference for the cross-trek influence how you evaluate the other cars? Could you be looking to confirm your inclination rather than buy the best car for your needs? To pry open cognitive space, first, consider your needs and then look for cars that fit those parameters. 6. I trust my gut. It's great to rely on your instincts when picking a breakfast cereal. But for larger, high-stakes decisions, when we rely on our gut, we are relying upon bias and faulty memory. Important decisions benefit from prying open cognitive space to allow for new information and insight. You may have set your mind on the Saburu Outback because you have fond memories of your family having one years ago, but some drivers find the driver's seat uncomfortable. Skipping the test drive may result in a car that doesn't work for your long drives. 7. Decision-making is linear. In fact, good decision-making is circular, 
It needs a feedback loop, as we gather information and analyze it and our thinking. At times we need to go back to find the information we've glossed over, or to gather new information, or conduct a different kind of analysis. When buying a car, for example, you might think that doing your research first and then going to a dealer and negotiating a price is enough. But there are many dealers, and they each have leeway to negotiate a price, so circling around and comparing offers may get you a better price. 8. I can pull my ideas together well in my head. Large decisions are made up of multiple smaller decisions. When we try to keep all of those moving parts in our minds, we end up relying on faulty memory and a distracted mind. Our emotions can also get in the way, leading to biased thinking. Keeping a record is an important part of thinking and analysis, both Albert Einstein and Leonardo da Vinci kept notebooks. We may never be as brilliant or creative as either of these great thinkers, but we can take a page from their notebooks and write things down to create a record of our thinking and our work. 9. I have all the information I need. While we may want to forge ahead, we can improve our decisions and our satisfaction by investing in a little bit of research and confronting assumptions with evidence. Your best friend might love her car, but that doesn't mean it's the car for you, particularly if it won't fit your daughter's hockey equipment. Looking to the experts, such as Consumer Reports, which does substantive research, can help you make an educated decision that's also right for you. 10. I can make a rational decision. Psychologists far and wide, such as Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, have demonstrated that as much as we'd like to believe it, none of us are rational. We all operate through a dirty windshield of bias based on past experiences and feelings. You might think you won't get taken in by a car dealer, but they are professional salespeople who know how to evoke an emotional response. 11. There's just one way to do this. Whether it's how the bed should be made, which diet to follow, or how to divide up your retirement account, there's always more than one way to get to yes. We've been conditioned out of listening to other voices, siloed in our information, environment, and social media circles. But getting outside your routines and patterns leads you to see things differently. You may always have gone into the dealership to buy cars, but more and more, people are negotiating car purchases online and through texting and email. Take a time out. Underlying these myths are three common and popular ideas that don't serve us well, First, as busy people, we don't need to invest time to make good decisions. Second, we are rational human beings, able to thoughtfully solve thorny and high-stakes problems in our heads. Third, decision-making is personal and doesn't need to involve anyone else. All three of these assumptions are false and problematic for clear thinking and analysis. We are not computers. We are social beings who operate in the community. We need time for reflection, an ability to confront unconscious biases, or to consider the bigger picture. One way to combat these biases is to put a speed bump in our thinking, a strategic stop to give us time to pause, to see the whole picture, and to reflect on what we're experiencing. Slowing down can help improve efficacy by steering us away from our reliance on these decision-making myths and reflexive behaviors. I call these strategic stops a cheetah pause. 
I came up with this term after learning that the cheetah's prodigious hunting skill is not due to its speed. Rather, it's the animal's ability to decelerate quickly that makes it a fearsome hunter. Cheetahs habitually run down their prey at speeds approaching 60 miles per hour, but are able to cut their speed by 9 miles per hour in a single stride. This allows them to make sharp turns, sideways jumps, and direction changes. In decision-making, too, quality thinking benefits from periods of thoughtful deceleration. These calculated pauses empower you to check and challenge your biases, consolidate your knowledge, include others, and enable you to decide whether to pivot and move in a new direction or stay the course before accelerating again. Here are five questions to ask yourself in these cheetah pauses. One, which decision-making myths am I relying on to make this decision? Two, how will this decision move me toward my life goals? Three, are my feelings related to this decision based on what's actually happening or do they reflect my learned patterns of behavior? 4. What information is out there in the world that could help me make this decision better? 5. How can I better understand the perceptions and perspectives of others involved in the decision? The next time you're speeding toward a decision, let the cheetah pause remind you of the value of taking a strategic stop. This vivid cue can help you see past decision-making myth trees and beyond the forest of biases that they rely upon, improving your decision-making skills. The right complex decision result for you is out there in the jungle, and you, not your smartphone, have the tools to find it. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Please also support us by clicking the support button at our page anchor.fm forward slash Mayfors, M-A-I-F-O-R-S. That's all for today. Hope you enjoy the podcast, we will see you again in the next episode. Have a great day, take care and stay safe.